With Straight Talk Wireless, you can own the latest smartphones for a low monthly payment and you won't get locked into a pricey long-term contract. Cancel anytime, no penalties. Straight Talk Wireless, only at Walmart. Welcome to Somewhere in the Middle with Michelle Berard. I am your host, Michelle Berard, founder and CEO of Urban Book Editor, LLC, and I am so, so, so happy to share this hour with you where we examine all those places where spirit meets life and the joys and challenges that may bring. Now, those of you who have been listening for a while know that Somewhere in the Middle is intended to be a safe place where we can learn and grow together. We discuss a variety of topics ranging from love to politics to money to business and beyond, and that is because the human experience is wide and varied. And I know that you have lots to share with us as well. So don't just sit there. We don't want to just talk at you for an hour. I want you to feel free to participate and engage. So if you have any questions, put them in the chat or, you know, let us know, and we will be glad to get those questions and comments from you because we love to hear from our audience. Now, you guys also know that I like to start by thanking Ms. Beverly Black and Tribe Family Channel for helping me create this space for us. Tribe Family Channel is home to an assortment of thought-provoking shows exploring life, spirit, business, and culture, including The Woman at the Well, hosted by Ms. Beverly Black herself. And Somewhere in the Middle was born on Tribe Family Channel. We have grown to our own platform, but we are ever, ever, ever grateful and loyal to our roots. To paraphrase an African proverb, we are only here because we stand on the shoulders of those who came before us. I also want to give a shout out to my guest on the April 6th show, coach and author, Anita Dickerson Knox. You can connect with Anita on Facebook and Twitter. And her books are available on Amazon. So make sure that you check those out. If you missed that show, make sure you listen to the replay. Anita shared inspiring information about her struggles and her triumphs over bullying and how we can help our kids deal with those situations. You can get to the replay by visiting somewhere in the middle at bit.ly, that's B-I-T dot L-Y slash somewhere in the middle radio and checking out the on-demand shows. 
You can find our complete show archives, including that April 6, 2018 show, at bit.ly, B-I-T dot slash somewhere in the middle podcast. I also want to shout out Bruce George of the Genius is Common movement. You guys know I love Bruce George and the Genius is Common movement. I just think it's so important because he encourages us to embrace our inner genius and share it with the world. And we really need to share this message, particularly with the youth, particularly with our young people. They need to know that they are little geniuses and they have a lot to share with the world. But it's not just for the young people. It's also for the rest of us. Us grown folk, we sometimes forget that we have a genius to share as well. So make sure that you go to GeniusIsCommon.com to learn more about the Genius is Common movement. Now, I want to tell you, I am super, super, super pleased to have my guest tonight. J. Elliot Howard is a poet. He was born in Finley, Ohio, and at the age of 16, his family moved to Sugarland, Texas. Gotta love Texas, the great state of Texas. Shortly after moving, he began to write. And no matter where he went, his writing followed, including college. Elliot attended the University of Houston, but transferred and graduated from the University of Pittsburgh. His writing continued through graduate school at Bowling Green State University, through marriage, through fatherhood, and all points in between. Elliot considers poetry to be his snapshot in time because words mean more than pictures to him. They allow him to look, remember, and truly embrace each new experience. Also, he is a die-hard Houston fan. He loves Houston, and who can blame him? Houston's a great city. Houston is where he met his wife, where his son was born, and writing has enabled him to express himself thoroughly and creatively. He believes that life is more than just happy love. As you go through life, you face difficulties. But he believes that each moment experience is worthwhile. So I would like to welcome J. Elliot Howard to Somewhere in the Middle with Michelle Barrard. Thank you so much, Elliot, for coming on the show. Well, thank you very much for having me. I appreciate that. It's an honor being a part of this. Well, I'm really excited. Well, partly because you're from the great state of Texas, and I love Texas. (laughs) Mm-hmm. I really do and, love and Texas. It's, it's a wonderful state. <laughs> well, it's got it's it's huge. First of all, it's massive, and some of my favorite people are from there, including uh, our wonderful podcast producer. He is from Texas, um, uh-huh. and I almost moved to Texas at one point. It's a great place. Oh yeah, there's a lot of history here. You know, when you uh, consider um, the first. I mean, we Muhammad Ali is revered as being the greatest of all time. But the first ever black heavyweight boxing champion is from the state of Texas, Jack Johnson. Really? I did not know that. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, uh, from Galveston, Texas. Of course, for everybody that loves R&B, you can't have R&B without Barry White. Of course, he's also from Galveston. Of course. Well, yeah. and Galveston's a great place. Oh, my goodness. Awesome. Well, Elliot, you probably have already heard that I like to start my interview with two questions. And the reason okay. I do it is because I believe they lead right into what you're doing and why you're doing it. Okay. So are you ready for my questions? Go ahead. Shoot. All right. <laughs> um, Jay Elliot Howard, 
Who are you, and how did you become who you are today? Wow, that's a deep philosophical question. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or, mm-hmm. or, is it, or, or I can make it just as, as I, I am. I mean, a lot of who I am is wrapped up in the basis of what I do. I mean, you know, I'm a father. I'm a husband. Um, and those are my pri- – and there's my priorities right there. Everything else falls in place after that because if they're not right, nothing else is. Um, mm-hmm. And so, but from that, from that, from these glasses of my family that I have, I see the rest of the world, what I want to protect them from, as well as, um, you know, and, and by doing, the best way to protect them is to try to do your best to make the world a better place. Because you make it safe, mm-hmm. so it's okay for them to go out, do what they do. I, um, so I am a individual has a sense of. I think if you have the means to help somebody, you do. And you don't necessarily mm-hmm. have to be a person. And I don't think you have to have a title to do it. So, of course, there's some meaning that if, it's, if you're thirsty and you need a glass of water, I don't need to be a barista to give you that. I have a glass <laughs> of water in my hand. Let me just give it to you. <laughs> and I'm not going to ask for permission. I'm just going to give it. And, uh, and so I don't have that type of filter in my head. I think so. I think that it really is just that simple. <laughs> and, okay. Um, yeah, it really is. I really do. I, just, I really do. I, I think people get it at you know growing up as a as a son of a executive and a preacher. Man, my dad was ordained minister and was also an oil and gas executive. The thing was, but also was a was both my dad and my mom were active in the community. So no matter what they were doing, and they both were successful with what they did on the professional side, like you you still have to always have that thing where you help out the man next to you. You don't have to have big crowds. If you're not willing to help your neighbor, then what's the point? Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. And, that's, and, and, and that's something that was a legacy passed on on both my mom's side and my dad's side. My dad's, you know, because my dad's side, I mean, his older brother worked with the late Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, directly. And then prior to that, the uh, you being, being a, a woman high on literacy and reading, you're going to respect this part. My, my grandmother, uh, back in the early 20th century, was sent away by her dad, you know, and, and she was from the greater Atlanta area. So it was the high school then for blacks wasn't what it is now, where he was, you know, mm-hmm. the shoulders, like, we stand on their shoulders. You could go wherever you want mm-hmm. to go. And get the quality mm-hmm. that wasn't the case back then. And so she was one of the few in the community that actually could read because her dad sent her away, believe it or not, sent her away to high school <laughs> to pay for her education. Wow. So that way, and, and so she was actually, um, but when she came back, of course, I mean, options were few in the community. Mm-hmm. So she's, she was more educated than most of the people that she was servicing when it came to their homes and stuff. But, mm-hmm. but the, the, the backdrop is, is that when the Great Depression hit and the New Deal came and they brought in the whole thing with Social Security about these changes in laws, she was the one person in the community, one of the few people in the community that could actually read. So a lot of the fellow, her black neighbors would come over to her house and she would read, she would read, all, she would read through the policies, hold meetings and read policies and stuff and help them interpret what was going on so they wouldn't be left behind as the society wow. was shifting. 
So she was active wow. in the community that way. So that's where the sense of community on my dad's side really comes in because they had a mom who right. was like, this is what you do. It's not, you don't get a cookie for it. You don't get mm-hmm. a pat on the shoulder. You might not get a pat on the back for it. And you don't look for the applause or look for a life. So if you don't help out the person next to you, it doesn't matter. Wow. Um, right. So, and, and, and I so love that. And so that's kind of, and, and there's plenty more stories on my mom's side. I mean, we could go along for, for days with it. But the thing is, is that as a result of both sides and what they've influenced me, it's, I mean, I know some people get into the notion of forming groups and forming organizations, and they get into the intertwinings of everything like that. But they have a next door neighbor that might need help with something with their car, and they just keep on walking past like that person isn't even there. And see, so your mm-hmm. message is actually convoluted because, like, regardless of what race that neighbor is, I mean, if you're a black guy and your neighbor is white and they have a, and they're having a problem within their house and you have the ability to help them, why not just do that? <laughs> like it doesn't. Right. If the roles were reversed, because if the roles were reversed, you want them to help you, and then if they didn't, you say because the reason why they didn't help you is because they were white. Okay, so mm-hmm. like you you can't you can't have it both ways. Either you get over it, and if you feel you need to forgive for if you're still <laughs> for they, they didn't do that because unforgiveness is a poison that you're giving yourself, and actually. It's not just that you're poisoning the community because at some point, somebody, somewhere is going to need help, including you. And at some mm-hmm. point, you're going to be so desperate, you're not going to care who that help comes from. I mean, a man hanging from, if you're hanging from a cliff, do you care if it's a man, woman, dog, bear, beast, a field or whatever, in rubs that pull you up from the cliff? Are you going to be like, I bet, in fact, there's a, there's a, there's a, I have a lot of uh, my if, because I, I, obviously you can tell I, I alluded to it. I grew, up, I grew up in the church, so there was a story that for all the sermons that people hear about, I look at the, I've read the stuff that doesn't get preached about. Like simple fact of uh, Peter was hungry and got in there and was like, okay, we need to need before Peter asked. On top of a of a of a building, he lays out a mat of food for Peter to eat. Peter's like, I won't eat it because it's unclean. Spell story short. It happened several times, and, and God was like, okay, well, then find your own meal. There's nothing I make is unclean. Mm. There's, a, there's a lot in that. Wow. <laughs> wow. Because, because who you're choosing to be around, who you're, choosing to, who you're choosing to be around or not be around, who you're choosing to help or not to help, who you're choosing to be involved with or not, is it actually really righteous that you're actually holding yourself back from helping somebody because they're natural people? Well, I mean, people your, are people, I guess, is the message there, right? Yeah, it is. And the thing is, is that everybody is special. Everybody is, is precious. And then you have that ability, so then you do. So that's, so that's how, that, that's what makes me me. And so with mm-hmm. my son, I have, a, I, have, I have two boys. One's seven mm-hmm. months old, so, so eight months old this week. So I, I can't really have the conversations with him. I just show him by loving affection. But with the twelve-year-old, uh, as you know, we've had ongoing discussions for years, and so fast of teaching him the fact of what I truly believe was the past on the mean, uh, is that being a gentleman isn't an act; it's a lifestyle. So, 
um, it's not an act that you do to impress other people. It's not that you only do around certain people. If it's you, then you do. You are who you are 24-7. You don't turn it on and turn it off, because if you turn it on and turn it off, then it's not you, and you're, and you're considered fake. So whether or not that, you know, if he's, you know, or at some point he's going to find some lady cool to ask to go to the movies, and I'll consider whether or not I'm going to allow that, but... <laughs> <laughs> I know he's getting older. <laughs> like, but, but, but <laughs> I know, I know. Like, guess what? Dads have issues with their sons dating too, just as much as my moms do. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good to know. Right, they're like, we might not say it, but we're sitting there like, dear God, please, son, don't mess this up. <laughs> but he's 12. He's, he's 12. He still thinks women have, still thinks girls have cooties. I'm like, please keep thinking that. I'm completely cool with that. So I, 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 so I say so. Um, but I, I, but I, the point is, is that like, it's not. I feel having it's, it's, it's so it sinks in that it's a lifestyle, right? It's, regardless of whether or not you asked her for uh, for you know for on a date or not, or you find her interesting to get to know even better or not, you might not have share any values with her whatsoever. But whoever it is that you're dealing with, you still treat them with respect, um, mm-hmm. and you hold yourself you hold yourself to a high standard on how you carry yourself, whether or not she appreciates it or not. Because who you how you behave, that's on you. How if she receives it or not, that's on her. And if she never pays it any any mind or doesn't respect it whatsoever, you still be you. Because let's put it this way, right? Because uh, a Cadillac. <laughs> Is a Cadillac whether you can afford it or not. Mm. If you walk walk into a walk into the dealership, you are not JD by rider. You can haggle the price. That Cadillac CTS you're looking at with the Corvette engine on the inside. Guess what? No, it costs every bit the dime that it costs. And you can sit Mm -hmm. there get mad, stamp and stammer and whatever, try to get it down to that JD by rider price and and dig it into those long payments for the next forty years. (laughs) <laughs> just so you can have it. <laughs> I like, but guess what? They're gonna say no. It costs what it costs. Either you got it, you not, and that's it. <laughs> like I'm not. Well, there you go. And, so, and, and the thing is, but I think for if I had a daughter, it would be the. And I have, I have, I have a niece. I'm gonna have another niece coming up in May. They, you know, and I know uncles talk to the nieces all the time too. And it's the same thing. You have your value. Do not negotiate mm-hmm. that. That is not a negotiation. Either they come acting correct or they don't. But you do not have to change your values <laughs> or lower your price <laughs> or lower you know, anything about you. If you had to do all of that, they're not worth your time. Because the people that can, because honestly, the people that interact, you know, people that uh, go and they buy the Jaguars or the Cadillacs, whatever, that's all they do is that. They're not even worried about what, whether or not the next specialist on J.D. Byrider. There's nothing wrong with J.D. Byrider. Don't get me wrong. But it's just a different level. And what you want to consider. And talk about the quality of the individual. And that has nothing to do with job. It doesn't have to do with career choice. It has is how you are about yourself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because I've, I've known some executives. That were some of the most scandalous individuals you ever ran across, but 
if you're all busy all about paper chasing, then they then they're the next Jesus. But ask the, right. ask, the um, ask their families. Yeah, he's making a million a year, but he has a penny's worth of a character. At three o'clock in the morning, his wife has to wonder where he is. The kids can't find him. Even when he's there, he's not really there. But he's making that money though. <laughs> like so, I mean, so, I'm just saying because, because because I say this because there are a lot of good men and women, that, and, I, and I say this because I I was the guy that got looked over, you know, oh. and, and and all because I wasn't. I, I mean, when I came from Finley, Ohio, down to Texas, the thing that I had to adjust because my 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 town, the black population was less than one percent, so my environment and how I sound. I did not look, act, or behave the stereotype. You were not gonna. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I thought D, I thought DMX was entertaining, but if I, I was growing up, if I acted like DMX, my dad would have whooped me. <laughs> like, that would have been a short discussion. That like, I mean, please understand. Please understand. This is the I love my dad. I, I love my dad. I love him. I love him. I love him. But I still remember the one. He 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 whooped me before, but the one that I really. There were a couple instances where that, that really stood out, but the one that I want to talk about is the one where, like, I had gotten a couple of bees on my uh, – he was not a tiger dad whatsoever. Uh-huh. If, the, if that's the best that you – his thing is if that's the best that you can do, he doesn't have a problem with that because that's the best you can do. But if right. you're going to settle at staying at that particular level, oh, no, he's not going to have that. <laughs> that was not going to happen. And, uh, and, and he didn't – with me, but he put the fear of God in me so much. Like, Lord, is the rapture coming? Because I really need it. I need, I need somebody to take me right now. I, I, I don't want to know what's on the other side of this. <laughs> like, so, um, but nevertheless, I, you know, when it came down, the knock that I had that was against me was because I didn't sound like the stereotypical black man. I did mm-hmm. not. Operate. I did not. It was put out there. We're angry. We have a chip on the shoulder. We don't forgive. Our grammar can be suspect, and that we don't really value education, and and that if you are just happen to be a female, period, we're going to chase you. And so, um, all of that for me was not tolerated in my house. <laughs> so that was not that if I acted if I was ever I mean and, and, and I had the family that it didn't necessarily have to I didn't necessarily have to get whooped from my dad to get a whooping. I don't like or to get checked really hard about the behavior. I mean it was anybody and everybody from so so it was like you learned very on like early on in my household that this is how you're supposed to actually care yourself. You know, my dad was, you know, mom and dad still married. That's 44 years. Wow, and, that's wonderful. Right. And that was, and, he, you know, he didn't get a cookie for it. It's, that's what you do. You, you're faithful. He, he, I still remember as a boy, being 12 years old, and having the school play, and which I was in, and he had come from out of town for business, and I didn't realize what he had done at the time. When I got older and looked back, then that's when I became a dad and looked back, this is when I realized what he had done. He had told the cab driver to take him specifically to my school and drop the baggage, his, his luggage, inside the classroom. So he didn't go home. 
they came the night, was there on time. Wow. He had come all the way from, he had flown all the way from Germany from the business trip. He could have gone home and taken a rest and because he would because he you know, it was a high powered uh, business trip and no, they didn't have Skype back in those days. You actually had to go to the country <laughs> and actually have a conversation <laughs> with a lot of people. Millennials, you have no idea how blessed you are. But he did is the reason why you but there's, there's the motivation for what you guys have now. But that wasn't the case back then. So then so which which means millennials, you don't have an excuse. If your kid is doing something and you don't and, and you could have and you did the 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 conference call, video conference call, which was developed in my era <laughs> in the nineties. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. You had the thing, you didn't have to travel out of town. So your kid has something to do, you go there and you show up. And you be the biggest cheerleader that they have. And they might be embarrassed that you're yelling and rooting for them, but when they get to be about 18, and they're bad to know that, you know what, my dad might have been a fool. But you know what, I can't say that he wasn't there for me. Well, you know what? That wasn't met. No? I I like that. It sounds like you and I had some similar... um, some similar uh, experiences in certain areas in that you say some things that I actually say to my kids. And you mentioned no cookies. You don't get a cookie for doing what you're supposed to do. No. Um, my kids hate when I say that, I think. But I think they value the lesson that comes with it, right? So mm-hmm. what what do you take from uh, then versus now, if you will, about that concept of what you're supposed to do, what your obligations are to family, to community, and, you know, to the, to the larger world. Well, I mean, what I take is that the time is precious, and you don't get the time back. And I does say, you know, this might be sacrilegious to some um, – of, of my people in the circles of how they feel towards the Bush family, but Robert Bush did say something that was really, really profound. That at the end of your life, you're not going to be having any regrets for not making that last deal or, you know, getting that that next diploma or whatever accolade. There's going to be the time that you could have spent with somebody that you didn't. You get some great things, you get some, some summating it up. And so you have your time with your kids. And that's and what the kids, you see with their behavior, in some cases, whether they're, they're not getting that time from their parents. And and it's important to spend that time. You, the, the biggest help that you can do for the community is actually investing in the time that you have with your children. Right? And making sure that all of it is quality as best as you possibly can. You know, they, my, you know I... I had a conversation with my son, the 12-year-old, and we were at his, because I still, at least once or twice a quarter, stopped by his middle school. He's in a new, he's in a new middle school now. Because when I was a kid, elementary school went from kindergarten to sixth, and so to junior high went mm-hmm. seventh to nine. That's all changed mm-hmm. now. Sixth, seventh, and eighth is now a middle school now. So this is his first year. So I, I'm, I'm showing up there, and so I asked him, so what do you feel about me still? Well, he's like, <laughs> he's like I, I still like it. 
was like, what? He <laughs> was like, I still need you to come. Oh, you come. that's nice. And I was like, and I was like, why? He said, because. And he started talking about like a lot of his a lot of his uh, friends' dads. They don't. They stopped coming years ago. Even like during elementary school, they just didn't come. But me, he could count on at least <laughs> two or three times, <laughs> and I'll be there during the course of a week. Because I, I made mm-hmm. a point to change my career. I, I did. I, I made some changes. Um, and you're looking at you know when I was finishing up my MBA. Um, that's when his mom and I got a divorce, and um, and at the same time I was finishing up my MBA, that's when I had job offers offered to me outside of the state. And these are all the things that I had worked for, but it came down to a choice. If I did take those, then I would miss out on time with him. Mm-hmm. And I remember when my dad's oldest brother had passed away, and he, you know, they, they were two diametrically different. Points of in, in financial success. My dad had a lot of it, and my dad's oldest brother did not. But mm-hmm. at the end of his life, he wasn't really concerned about all that. I was there. I was the first one to get to the hospice. And when I was crying, he reached out just to comfort me out of his deathbed. It wasn't, there was no other stuff was talked about. So then I'm sitting there looking at, if I thought about it, I considered, you know, said I could do all these other things, but I won't give this time back. That's important. And at the end of it all, and at the end of it all, if I were to die at some particular point, would I really want that hanging on my head? So God will make something work out, and He has. But um, I'm not the asking price for me is what I would have to give up that can't be replaced, which is time with my kids and being there with you know my family and stuff. So. Guess what? No company can match that. And I agree. there's no award that can there's no award out there that is worth that. So he's happy. He's at peace. And he knows beyond a shadow of a doubt that when the same feeling that I had when my dad my dad showed because it was tough. Growing up, in, 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 a lot of my friends didn't know what I went through in the town that I was in, from having nooses in my locker, from guys like, I'm actually part of the Me Too, but I'm from the guy's side of it, having guys actually mm-hmm. pick me up, power slam me onto the pavement, and then punch me in the groin. Oh. I was in seventh grade. And that's just, that's just a sample, right? And my dad, my mom sent my dad. She was like, and my dad showed up, and all heads started rolling. And I'm like, you know what? When I get older, I want to have that exact same effect. <laughs> I want my son to have the exact same feeling. That when dad shows up, like, if someone messes with me, oh, you done messed up now. Because, see, you're yep. talking about getting your friends. I'm getting my dad. And none of y'all can deal with him. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, because hell's coming, and he's bringing it. <laughs> and... and you know, I mean, as I said, like, like this, this man, I, 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 you, people, if you around me, hear me bragging about him all the time, but there's a reason why I can brag about him. Especially when I, the stories that have come up since I've gotten older that they didn't share with me back then. We're looking at the fact of, like, he had gotten laid off before he got, as, before he got married. He got laid off his job. Mm. 
And he told my mom, you know, that, hey, um, I don't have a job. Um, so if you want to hold off on the wedding and stuff like that, because I, I can't be married and, and not have a job. And my mom looked at him there in the eye. You know, and she's a, she was a rare one, too, especially nowadays. Because I, don't, I mean, there are women out there that would do this. And, guys, if you have one, hold on to her. If you run into her, you better chase her down with all fervency. <laughs> like, these are words that came out of her mouth. She's like, I'm not with you for your money. I'm not with you for your mm. job. You are a good man. I know that I've seen how you are. I know you're going to find another one. But that we have the weddings in January. We're getting married, and I'm with you for life. Forty mm. years later, this is the. Forty years later, this is the tale of the tape. Retired senior vice president of corporate affairs with Merrill Oak Corporation. After he retired. Another company said, can you sit on our board of directors? So he did. Wow. I said, but if she had given up, like a lot do, mm-hmm. all of this other stuff would never have. She can go any, if, if, all she has to do is say the word now. Jerry, I want to go somewhere. He's like, whatever you want, you can have. Oh. And then what That's happens wonderful. is, and this is why, see, and what happens is, the reason why she's so committed to him comes one story says it all. Because after he had gotten the job, within a year, she was like pregnant with me. So then, like seventy-five, they got married. So, um, you know, nine months in, into uh, um, seventy-six, she's due to have me. A week before I'm born, she's driving down in the neighborhood. We live in because every neighborhood definitely was white, but then there are some areas that were better than others. They were living in the good area, right? So. You know, you don't see any black folks down there. She's driving, and any woman that's been pregnant, you know, when you, that final month and in the final week, y'all can't move mm-hmm. anyway. Nevertheless, right. she's pulling, she's about a house down, she's a house away, um, to pull into the driveway. Cop pulls her over, is like, what are you doing in the neighborhood? She's like, I live here. He didn't believe her, so he called for backup. On a nine-month full-term pregnant woman, he called for backup. Mm-hmm. Not cop cars. Right? Well, Story short, my dad gets, you know, she's a question tells my dad. My dad walks boldly into his, into his boss's office. He's like, I know you know who's in control of the police, the sheriff's department, and I'm going to tell you this. I did not bring my wife or my kids, I was like, my family into this. They're going to be mistreated. Either you get these people in line or I'm walking. This is a black man in an all-white town in a job where there's no other buddy else but him, like him, in it. So they could have uh-huh. – he, he hadn't been there long enough. He was willing to toss everything to make sure that we were saying, I ain't even showing up. I had a couple more days to go. <laughs> <laughs> Let me ask you then. Let me ask you a question. I'm, I'm curious then. What does that do for you as a child to know that you have someone covering you like that, that your father is covering you like that? You know, I can say now as a man and being a dad, I felt special, but then when I got old enough to appreciate it, I really felt valued. And I was like, especially when that story came out, I'm like, you willing to give it all up just to make certain that I was safe. All this stuff that you achieved 
with this one company would never have happened, and you would have fine with it just to make certain that your wife was safe and that your kid was secure. Wow. That's a lot. And then it comes, <laughs> and then it comes there, and then it comes back around to me. It's like okay, and I've told this in the um, in I've had speaking engagements. So I've talked about the fact that. <sighs> so recently, we had a baby dedication for my um, youngest son, and I said, you know, the reality is, is that for me and guys like me that have their dads in their life like that, there is no excuse. See, here's the thing. My dad's dad wasn't like that. I mean, he wasn't a bad guy, but I think there was, like, and I heard, and there were things I've, I've tried to find in the, in the black community in particular, like, don't be afraid of mental health professionals. If, if you've been sad for, like, perpetually for over, like, 14 days, that might be an issue. Go get you some help. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. um, and back in those days, I mean, there were plenty of reasons for black men and black women to be depressed. There was a lot going on with Jim Crow. There was a lot going on with the, you just like, imagine you have nine kids and you're multi-talented, but society is saying that just as far as you go because you're black. Yeah, that'll make, that'll, mm-hmm. that, that'll, that, could throw, that could throw a brother over an edge. You know? Well, and there are generational, there are generational things as well in terms of concepts of masculinity and how you're supposed to deal with things that cross ethnicities and race too you know so as you go farther back I think men in particular were it would not have been trying to deal with things in the way that I think we try to deal with things now maybe going to get help if we're having a rough time or what have you right so oh, oh yeah I mean but you know what and I, I will say this I still remember when the discussion the first discussion my dad ever had with me about women was when I was in the fourth grade um and I held on to it he was really, he said it's really progressive. We're talking about over 30 years ago. And he, I said that I wanted to have it like he had it, you know, and, and that we're, you know, I'm working and, and, and then she has to stay at home and this, that, and the other. And, you know, because that's all I was seeing from this topic as a 10-year-old, 10 and 12-year-old, not really understanding how the world works. And he was like, that's not how you do it. You just can't go out on out. He said, he said I, was, I was like, what do you mean? He's like, you can't make somebody just, like, stop and just be at home. There has to be a discussion agreement between the two of you, what works for the best for, the, for you as a couple. You can't be like everybody else. You got to do what's right for you and her, and you got to consider her. Wow. That was way back mm. then. How about in the mid-'80s, everybody? <laughs> like, and that came out of that man's mouth. <laughs> They're like, my mom didn't say a word. It was all him. That was him. Well, there you go. Him. So now we're 2018. And what's the thing the ladies are crying out about about dealing with guys? Yeah, well, be very different. I don't need some dude trying to control me. Guess what? My dad beat everybody to the punch. This is what you do. <laughs> yep. That's awesome. So you were, yeah. it sounds like, it sounds like you were really strongly influenced by um, the things your dad did and and said, does that come out in your writing? It does. Him, um, my grandfather, a lot of the men. Um, that comes out a lot in my writing, yeah. It does. Um, and seeing things in, in an uncanny way. Um, 
like, we'll take, for example, there's this poem I wrote called Playing Isaac. And mm-hmm. it's in my book, Rewritten Life. Mm-hmm. And let me pull it out here, okay? And it's in the chapter called Out of the Darkness. So, okay. as a poem in. Playing Isaac says, he's like this. Roaming in, the, roaming in a desert with a leader, a father who loves me. All want to be him and do the great things that come alive when they close their eyes in the nighttime and in their, in their dreams. Take it away, all saints. Attest to a faith which can move mountains, having control, but ironically not, a decision which rests on the shoulders, to trust or not to trust, that is the question, believing God is not running a scam, and take him at his name, yes, just to be an Abraham. However, there is always a tale untold, a place where a man trembles at being bold, being a soul who holds faith in dagger over an innocent on the rocks, for the placement of perfection, someone has to lie down. Hoping utterly beloved, here's the spirit, not a glorified dream. Knowing of the past walk, my father loves me. Anyone can lose their mind, so why lay down? There is no comfort in this. Above all else, to fall to obscurity and to never be known as the one who laid down, the one who did his son's duty. Because in the heart of any man, there is a question, a notion, a fear. Oh, Father, I hope you are right. A fear of death, and death is wrong, and life is right. Give me a dagger and let me trust in this way. At least I'll live, because with the dagger, I feel I have control of my destiny. Let the rocks defer from my body, because it hurts to lie down. Accepting possible fates either way and close my eyes. In a moment of trial, I don't want to be the worst part of the error. Even if there is a glory to extract, sometimes nobody wants to play Isaac. Mm. And, of course, the allusion is to Abraham and Isaac and the common biblical tale told in many sermons about the fact of um, Abraham on the sacrifice, Isaac. We know the story. Right. But the thing that always gets told is always from the Abraham perspective. And which is, I mean, and I'm taken away from the fact that that is a, a story of faith willing to trust God and the story of obedience on his part that he was willing to do it. But that's if that's all I believe that's all that you're looking at, then you're leaving a lot on the table to eat. Right. Because the reality is you look at Abraham's track record to this point, is a man that really he kinda trusted God but not fully all of the way, even up to that moment. And in this day and age, we're always talking about track record. Why is it that people don't like Donald Trump? Because it's his track record, <laughs> right? You know, <laughs> track record, track record, track record, okay? So we're talking about, by this point, Abraham has already sent Isaac's brother and mom out into the desert after believing that Ishmael was supposed to be the one, you know, because he's trying to force God's hand, right? Because Abraham and Sarah didn't want to wait on God. We're talking about Abraham mm-hmm. before Pharaoh Say that his wife was his sister. Try that on, ladies. He mm-hmm. his wife's sister. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're just going, like, this is, even though God set up to do something else, he did something else. So, and so, so now, right. with all this track record, Abraham goes up to Isaac and says, okay, and Isaac asks, where's the sacrifice? And he said, you it. <laughs> After his track record, they're like, how many? We, we all have dads, you know. We like, dad or mom, 
with the track record that Abraham has, even without the track record that Abraham has, just as like, hey, Michelle, um, the Lord told me <laughs> you supposed to be the sacrifice. So that's what God said. So can you get up on there? I'm pretty certain it's like, nah, let's go. Let me go in there and let me check with it. Especially if, like, you know, I love you and all, but there's nothing about your relationship with God and what I've seen that says that you like spot on 100% of the time. You kind of have it around 50%, <laughs> which means like, I will mm-hmm. go to church mm-hmm. with you. I will praise God next to you. I will put a little something in the plate. But, like, I'm not laying on this one of these rocks to let you cut me open and then throw my body on fire. No, that's not how that's working. God's going to have to find another way. No, that's it. So, right? right. So knowing what Isaac, but that's the whole thing, though. And so then Abraham is, like, in the illusion of the fact of, like, okay, so Abraham was in the power position, again, of, like, if he wanted to back out of the deal, just drop the dagger and don't do it. Right. But if he follows through with it, Isaac's dead. And what if he's wrong? Mm-hmm. He's dead, dead. <laughs> right? And right, then, right. So, and so the thing is, is that, okay, so, no, we, it, so it, it goes into the fact that, like, sometimes people don't want to play the role of Isaac. They want to play the role of Abraham. Have control, have faith, but still have control. That, yeah, even though I feel like I'm supposed to go in this way, I, I can just change my mind and go back. Well, we see that, and we like, do I say to go there? But we see that in people when they get married all the time. They get married, but they're not really, really married. They just kind of like, they went through it, they had the party, said their life's little cute vows, and then they, the first time that there's any sign of trouble, like, oh, you know, this just ain't going to work out for me. And then they just walk out. I'm not, talk, I'm not talking about the abusive, that type of thing. I'm talking about just most of the situations people face the problems in life. There's no abusive problem like that. It's just that unwillingness to work with people. And. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and and I say like we're both adults. Let's solve the problem. You've gone. You have a job at your job that you're paid at your job. You can't go from job to job to job because you face a problem that you can't fix. You work with your team to figure something out. So then you're married with your spouse. You have a problem that y'all are facing. You talk it out. You work up and come up with a strategy. Okay. Well, this is where we're at. You know, doing whether to do all that. That's being Isaac because knowing what you know. And he and knowing what he knew, he still did it anyway. You see, he did it right. anyway, <laughs> which right. is a test, which is a testament to not simply faith but faithfulness. Because this faith and faithfulness yes, involves faith, but regardless of what you have done, I'm still with you. I'm still willing to lay my life down for you, not because you deserve it. It's not about what you deserve. My faithfulness is not tied to what the person deserves. It's just such an on me. And I said, I'm going to be there for you. And if I said I'm going to be there for you, I'd be with you all the way. See? And being there all the way means at some point you will have to play Isaac. But sometimes I might not like what the person, you know, does. And sometimes, you know, <laughs> my wife and I were talking about the fact that Bible was made, Brother Bush was married for 72 years to her husband. I said, I wonder how many times she wanted to kill that man. 72 years? <laughs> <laughs> like, like, how many times you wanted to kill me? We were, we, 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 you know, we, we, you know, <laughs> she was like, 
Uh huh. I like, don't worry about it. Man. I ain't doing nothing crazy. I don't do that. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> but I'm just saying, though. That means it's like, as long as there's any type of relationship, at some point, the spouses are going to have to play Isaac. We got the way to lay it down. And it could be mm-hmm. anything. But you're going to have to do it. You, have, you can't have a family. And, and at some point, each member of the family has got to play Isaac. That's important for the people to understand that you don't take the other person's sacrifice for granted because you realize the fact that they didn't have to do it. That's your next growth as an individual. When you realize the fact that people have sacrificed for you, you ought to sacrifice but not taking it for granted. Right. It could, be the, it could be the fact of you two have dueling careers, but for the family to stay together in advance, someone might have to stay at home, or someone might, not ha- might have to like, not take that promotion because it would, if they do, it would pull, if it's just a couple and they're not, um, they don't have any kids, this is like the time spent together. You know, right. Someone you're not able to do that. Then the, then the kids run and all these other types of stuff that I've in the stories I've shared, shared about my dad. At some point, there was a decision that had to be made. You know, and so you know that that spouse, your spouse, if your spouse is the one that's having to sacrifice his or her career, so that way you can flourish and the family stays together, and there's not that type of striving. Don't take that sacrifice for granted. Because they were going to do the thing that maybe, based upon your character, or you might have great character, but that sacrifice might have been too high for you. But they made that, but they paid that price for you. So you honor it by respecting the fact that they did that, that they did that. Right. On how you treat them on a day in and day out basis. Well, I think the challenge that a lot of women have is that oftentimes the assumption is that they're going to be the one to make that sacrifice, or at least it was. I think this generation is uh different i see i see different i have a 20 almost 25 year old and i see a different dynamic with that age group you know what i mean then uh, yeah then you know even then even my age group um which is you mm-hmm. know coming up coming of age in the 80s um yeah i think there was i think i i you know i think guys that or my age were pretty, for the most part, uh, recognize that maybe they might be the one who has to sacrifice sometimes for that relationship or for that marriage. But I think this generation really has it going on in terms of a sense of egalitarianism in the -hmm. relationship overall and the need to work together, you know, to fulfill each other's goals, to help each other reach their their heights. What do you think that, what do you think that you... Or if you, what do you think that you sacrificed for your marriage and for your family? Well, um, certain career choices. Um, and, you know, I'm, I've, I have this wonderful woman that's in my life who is a uh, blessing from heaven. And, you know, but then to be with her, I mean, it, I, <laughs> she wanted to stay in Texas. She wanted to be close to her family. So even if I mm-hmm. didn't I, so, so regardless of, of my 12-year-old, I would still have to stay in Texas. If there were any other, other opportunities outside of Houston, I would have to, I have to bypass them. So they had to get creative. I've had to get creative with what I do to bring stuff to the family 
mean, because she's had, I mean, she's had, she has, to understand who she is. She's an MBA in accounting. She is a CPA. She's an assistant controller. She has people mm. departments reporting directly to her. And mm-hmm. she really loves her mom and dad, and her sisters are, are here, and her nephew and all that. And she loves me, but she said that, like, I, I, I got to be around my, my family people. It's like Houston to Austin to Dallas. It's about, this is, this, that's my triangle as far as I can go. And so then it's like, okay, so I have a woman that loves me for me, and this is the only thing that between you know what I need to, what I, what I need in my life is that decision. So be it. I'll pay that cost. Because like my it's like a poem that I have at the end of the book where we written lives called "A Means to an End." Mm-hmm. Now the completion of testings. All that is to have been shared has gone round like show and tell, growing, growing, going on to a new life. Nothing is given for captivity in the hearts of men. The turns in life gives more views than a movie, but there is more than meets the eye. For as much as I am here, time means everything. However, like the curves of the road, an opinion depends on the view. Sight beyond sight, looking above the surroundings, happenstance never exists. All situations are for a reason, and the connections are seen. Looking top-down shows what appears harsh is not really mean. The testing of faith develops patience, and patience must have its perfect work. In order for maturation and completion, so in all things there is no lack. There is a light which overcomes the darkness. Where all things come together for those serving the Lord and are called by his purpose. When he places together, nobody can pull asunder. No, not one. After all, what he begins, he ends. So there's a purpose for everything. And so that's what I... so. I'm willing to make the sacrifice. And then here's the thing. It's, and I've shared with other men, it's the fact that there is a sowing and reaping that comes. So you sow that sacrifice. You reap that sacrifice back. And because, like, when one spouse shows that they are giving, the other one will match, especially the hearts and the hearts. Mm-hmm. Um, but you have to be willing to do that. You can't require something, uh, because I deal with both with men then, in what I've been doing the last couple of years, then that's how, it's from that perspective that I talk. So ladies, I'm not trying to screw you up, but I'm dealing with how guys should be dealing with their spouses. <laughs> and, 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 or, or, or even if you're like, if, if you're looking at, at dating and being serious in lieu of going, then you can't require of her what you don't do. Like, stop lying to yourself because everything you do is a seed. That's been the biggest lesson of the last couple of years that I've tried to, we've tried to pass on with guys. Everything you do is a seed. It's not just the positive stuff, the negative stuff, too, you do is a seed. It's all mm. being sown, and they will all be reaped. You will get exactly what you put out. So if you've been showing, and like, you've been given, you've been showing consideration and showing like that you care that you the sacrifices that she's made and then I take this this one particular passage in the Bible where it talks about that you know it's uh, evil generation that requires a sign sign that you know that God exists because if you're requiring a sign 
you're ignoring the actual signs that are all around you. That so if you're ignoring the fact of all these other little miracles that happen on a daily basis, what's one more gigantic thing going to do to help you with you believing that God exists? Um, sometimes <clears throat> taking on a mi- on a very micro level, your wife or your spouse is doing things on a daily basis that shows that they love you. When you were dating, that person was you were a, a bill, so to speak. I mean, you took you out to dinner, you know, they took you out for dinner or they bought you gifts or stuff like that. You got married, and now that, those little gifts, even though you might not get them anymore, I mean, bills are getting paid in the house. They could go anywhere else in the, in the town that they're in, but they came home to you. You might have mm. an argument, and he or she still says that I love you. They get over it. They don't doing it. Okay, so even if she, he or she doesn't just come out and just put big old poster boards around the house saying that they love you, they're still doing things that show you that they love you. They're not doing that with anybody else. But they're doing it with you. Mm-hmm. And you get to the point where you're no longer trying to like be blind to it. You're no longer, when you cease being blind to that fact, all the other doorways to love and affection and camaraderie and union come out to play. But you rob yourself if you deny the existence of these other things that they're doing on a regular basis. And when you do see the fact that they're doing that, they guess and they said everything you do is a seed. So then that makes it want to give more because this individual is doing is actually, wow, that mattered to them. So I'm gonna keep on doing that. But if you are but if you're dismissive of those little sacrifices and those little small expressions and they're not small. There's nothing small. But those little, those other expressions that happen on a regular basis, when you dismiss those, you block the other things that you're trying to get that you that you're saying that you gotcha. desire. You're not. You're, you're cutting that off because they're always trying. The husband, the wife, they're always trying to reach out, to but they're doing it in other ways. So you learn the language, and then you start talking. So let me ask you another question here. Yeah, you are. And that's why I want to ask this question, because it sounds like I've I've heard you say something that gives me the impression that you are actively, um, are you actively working with um, men to help them have better relationships with their wives or significant others? Is that some part of the work that you do? Well, I've been been involved with an organization called Man Alive for the last couple of years. Uh, actually, not the last couple of years. It's been a, I mean, it's been a eight-year haul, <laughs> and uh, the whole it, it was a it was a uh, organization that the the brainchild of Dr. Paul Demon, and I he asked me to to come on board to work with him to help establish it. And whereas I'm not a counselor, I do handle the business and and the and the strategy and the tech, and the tactics with that with where the group gets positioned and stuff too. And the whole thing that the organization focused on was developing emotional intelligence. Mm. And what's known as EQ. Okay, I, mm-hmm. IQ, we all know what that is. That's your ability to know how to do a radio interview, like what you're doing right now. Mm-hmm. Um, the EQ, okay, the EQ is your emotional reasons as to why you would or would not do it well at all, if you would do it at all. So, gotcha. We'll break it down. So, and, and so it's both the personal and the professional. So you have an argument with your spouse before you go into work. 
People at work have nothing to do with what you have with, your, with, with what argument you have with your spouse before you went to work. But if you allow that argument you have with your spouse to dictate how well you perform at the job, that's an EQ issue. Because you know how, if you're, you're an accountant, you know how to do your job. You got your degree. That's not a question. But the emotion at the moment is, uh, is preoccupied in your mind. So you're not as efficient today as you would be. And that's the reason why. And you did not put the emotions in the place where they should be. You just let them run amok. So developing your emotional attention is like, okay, you first acknowledge the problem is there. This is what I'm feeling. So then you do whatever you got to do in your development to put that, you acknowledge that where that emotion is, put that in the box that it needs to go to so that way it's not blocking your ability to do the other things that you need to do. It doesn't mean that that's not a, it, in acknowledging that emotion, and not the fact that it's real, you justify it with the way that you feel. Like you can be your own justification within yourself, but it's not emotionally sound to take that justification to exact that justification from other people. Otherwise, it can't be, you know, making everybody else suffer because you in a bad mood. No, you take that mood. You're an adult now. Take that, mood, take that emotion and put it where it needs to be because you can't let it run you. You have to run it. Mm, um, okay. And, and, and so, and, and the best example is the fact of, like, in the domestic violence situation. And I've had this discussion with my son. I'm like, under no circumstances, said, you put your hands on her whatsoever. I don't care if she put her, put her hands on you. Yes, she's wrong. She should never have done that. It would pick me off if I find marks on your face. Don't get me, don't make, don't get this twisted. However, the moment that that starts to go down, the interaction between her needs to be off. You get, I don't care where you are, just leave the building. You got my number. Mm-hmm. If you don't have a ride, call me. I will pick you up wherever you are. Just keep on walking, stay on the phone. I get you, and we go. I don't even care if it's a house that you have. I don't care if you're grown, you're 30. <laughs> and it's a right. house that's what I said. I don't care. I am still your dad. Even if I'm dead, I'm still your dad. But if I'm living, you have an option. I am the number one advocate. Right. <laughs> okay. But but nevertheless, okay, if you know, IQ, IQ dictates the fact that if you respond in kind, okay, so I know these, I got to say this because there's young guys that are being told wrong. IQ says that the fact that if you're smart enough to know that even if she was a man, she's not in your weight class because, you know, in boxing and UFC, uh, heavyweights never fight the lightweights. They never do. So right. if you were a man, you still would not be able to put your hand. Like, that would never happen. You're in a private setting. Okay, so she did. She lost her mind. She ain't right. Okay, guess what? Still don't. EQ, IQ says that he's telling you that that's wrong. You shouldn't do it. EQ is like, let me go ahead and just like respond to her comment because I'm justified. She shouldn't be doing that. Well, guess what? Now you have a bigger problem because you let your emotions run your decision making. Mm-hmm. Take the emotion out of it. You got parents, friends, or whatever. You can talk to them later and unload that. Get yourself out of the situation. Right. See. And so, and so, most of all of I would say all of the domestic violence situations are EQ issues, emotional intelligence issues. Because IQ, everybody knows in the right mind, they would not, the dude is twice her size. She knows right, that she would never right. walk up to him and start a fight. She knows she would have started a fight with him. But in that moment, she's mad, and she goes ahead and hauls off. And she knows if that was her son, her brother, or her dad, <laughs> she wouldn't have it if some woman did that to them. 
Right. Okay? But her emotions, but her mm-hmm. emotions are running her decision-making. That's where that all is. So with the guys, that's 50% of the issue. Don't, if the moment they start going that way, walk out. Walk away. Well, and then there's also the component, there are also other components that can come into play, drugs, alcohol, extreme mm-hmm. stress, mental distress, and so forth. Right, and all that influences your emotional intelligence. Now, the more times gotcha. the guy drink, the, the dumber, the more times the guy gets, the more alcohol you add into your system, the dumber you get. <laughs> that's true. I just, I like that. I mean, I just, I just, that's just the real truth. Later situation, like we'll say, like what, um, what's that singer that Rihanna's old ex boyfriend? Um, oh, Chris, Chris Brown. Brown, right? There was mm-hmm. any time that he had put his, he should never put his hands on that woman. And I'm gonna tell you right now. There was alcohol or some type of drug involved at the very moment that he was before he did all that. <laughs> I'm like, just don't do it. <laughs> like, right. I mean, there's a time places you can do it if you can. And again, IQ says that you know what? Every time that I have do weed or drugs or some sort or alcohol, this other side of me comes out. So I need to not do that because of the fact that this is what has been. This could be the end result. EQ. Is that other side, like, you know, if you have not put a place, but, like, I want to have fun. And um, she said that she might not hang out with me if I don't drink with her. Well, um, you might have to be the man in the situation, be a man in the situation. And you know what the end result mm-hmm. might actually be. So it's okay. If she can't respect it, that's on her. <laughs> right. Because then she's not the one for you. Because what woman would want to you to uh, lure a guy into a situation where it's bad for both of them. Not or, so vice the woman I know. or vice versa. Or vice, or vice versa. versa. Right. 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 Yeah. Wow. Well, Elliot, you have shared a great deal with us um, this evening. And we're, we've, we're actually, we're over an hour. I usually try to, 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 <laughs> keep things to an hour because I don't like to uh, abuse people's time. I appreciate you sticking with me. Um, what do you have going on that you want our listeners to know about? Well, um, let's see, for that, right now I'm, I have my own uh, radio show called Millennial Money Management, and we're doing a series right now talking about finance. We're breaking the, the finance stake down into final components. Uh, last week, last, last radio show, we talked about annuities. And so now we're going to be talking about other financial disciplines in the next coming weeks. We'll be doing that for the next couple of months. It happens every other week. And so May 10th is going to be the next one. I'm going to be on a rate on a gospel uh, TV interview next uh, this upcoming Thursday, actually a week from. Oh wow! That's in a week away. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to talk about some of the things with Man Alive. We're going to talk about my book rewritten lives and the fact that actually I have a Part two uh, in the series is going to be coming out by the end of the summer called Take a Walk With Me. And so okay. where it, it Take a Walk With Me, even though I'm not a love poem poet, I do believe in writing the story of the, the poems can tell the story of a journey. And so mm-hmm. that is, so, and, and the great thing about this is that this is the first book under a commercial publisher, H.D. Campbell. Very cool. And mm-hmm. thank you. And he had, he had actually been a critic of Rewritten Lives. He had given Rewritten Lives five stars. But in his opinion, Take a Walk With Me is a better book. So 
Very nice. So I Very felt, nice. I felt, so I feel good about that. Yeah. So, um, and of course, I'll, as soon as I if we get the release date, I'll let you know. Then um, at the end of the summer, I'm going to be part of that event in that here in Houston called the Next Big Thing, and it's it is for writers. Um, what um, the Voice and American Idol are for singers. It's for writers. So oh, wow. if you're okay. a poet or a short story writer, um, mm-hmm. so you want to be a part of this. Uh, Seth Batiste and Angela Williams are the founders of the event. It's going to be held at the University of Houston. And so about mid-August is when the event's going to take place. And is that something that the public comes to? Is it something that's going to be on television? With I mean, do people come for a filming, or is it – how does that work for the, the next big thing? I, well, I, I, I'm, they haven't told me all the details because they asked me to perform there. But um, they had, uh, they're going to have somebody open to the public. People can attend. I don't know if they have a TV deal work with that just yet, but they're going to. But the judges are going to be coming from the writing and 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 film production industry. So writing, film, TV, right, and um, newspaper uh, journalists are going to be coming in and be judging the work. And so it's going to be a good opportunity for writers to actually show what they can do. And Very cool. So. And so as, as I get more information, of course, I'll be passing it on to you because you might want to come back to Texas. You can please come to Texas and put your hands on this. <laughs> I might need to. I might need to, you know, see if I can, I can, I can be the next big thing. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly. awesome. <laughs> and, 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 and then hold a live interview somewhere in the middle right there at the event. Like, okay, that would be wonderful. About what's going on here. Do a, do that a would be wonderful. Interview. <laughs> on the okay. on location, I haven't been to Houston in a minute, location. so that'll be nice. <laughs> oh yeah, see, see that that, that does, uh, definitely. I, I invite you right now, and then you can, and I'll I'll get in contact with the with the with Angela and Seth Batiste, and um, get all the information I can. So I'll pass it on to all of your listeners, fellow writers, authors, poets. This is something that you want to be wonderful. Part. Yeah, please make sure you send that to me because I want to pass that along to my folks, um, my newsletter, and and my followers so that they know that that's an option for them as well. So, Elliot, um, where can people find you online? How can they connect with you? Okay. Well, for to to purchase the book, you can get go to www.rewrittenlives.com. The book is available in ebook paperback and hardback um, to connect with me directly you can go to the rewritten lives Facebook page and I'm always online and for you to reach out to me you can email me on Facebook rewritten lives or you can go to Elliot Howard on Elliot Howard Facebook page I got a couple of them and there, of course millennial money management is my show I have a Facebook page with that and any one of the three I am um, have my hands on directly, you can reach out to me, and I will always respond. And I do public speaking, and I do my poetry wherever. So if you want to ever invite me to come to your church, your event, or your venue, I will be there. Very cool. And so on the side, I also have a I also support a military veteran in his expansion of a business, uh, his business uh, called the Baker's Man. You, you'll, you will see a lot of live feeds of me at an event with them with him and uh he's 
makes his makes his phenomenal. It's a brother that makes his phenomenal mini bunk cakes from scratch. Every guy didn't make it is not in the cake. And so every Saturday and Sunday, I am doing a live feed. And so that's either going to be on the Elliot Howard Facebook page, we've written live Facebook page, or the Baker's Band Facebook page. But you can see me and encourage. Then you can whatever questions you want to ask, you can still get you can still get to me. But you'll see me on a regular basis. Very cool, very cool. Thank you so much, Elliot. It has been a joy. And uh, just so you know, I did get your book and and read your poetry. I I'd hope that we could get one more poem in before we sign off. Do you mind? The one that I wanted you to read for me is. Oh, I just I went to the end of the book because you were um, talking about the other poem, and I wanted to follow along with you. So bear with me as I scroll back to it. It was about um, watching her walk away. Hold on. Oh, I looked at you as you as you walked away. Yes, yes. Do you mind okay, reading that one that, for me? Okay, let me That's, see. What, what page is that? I think it's in chapter two. Let me see. Chapter two. I'm having trouble getting back. There it is. I was trying to get back to my okay. menu. I have the ebook version. Here we go. All right. Yes. Here we go. All right. And it's just, just so you know, I have a I, I there's been sequels to this poem, and and I have a so that I have ready to go into a couple into a new book after this. I'm gonna take a walk with me. So, but here we go. I looked at you as we walked away, and I remember all of the times, places, and spaces we have roamed. Then the thought of not being with you made my spirit groan. There you stood, skin as ivory, a smile clear as water, and a heart pure as gold. Together over the years, we watched our lives unfold with all of the color of a talented artist. But even Michelangelo couldn't paint the marvelous picture of who we are. The torture that tries this man's soul is to leave one so loyal with love so true Eternity is the only age long enough to hold the time, the amount of time I would like to spend with you. Yes, all of this crossed my mind as I looked at you as we walked away. I never wanted to go a separate road. I'm not Robert Frost, and my life is not a yellow wood. I want this cake, and I want to share it, share and eat it with you. For it is the bread of a sweet relationship, warmed by fire, because it was made, possessed, and blessed by two. Who know how to let the work of love come through? And I look at you as we walk away, gazing at your precious silhouette. For now, your shadow seems to be loved by God more than I. At least it gets to be with you wherever you go. I look at your loving smile from your touching face. When I have been around you, I felt removed from life's records of disgrace. Then what's there left to speak of? And about a feeling, a relationship that will always be? The torture to see good and not come near they have whispers speak of what can't be held, told in the air. This is what makes this man cry. To have known and now live without you. To have a knife dragged through this broken heart, I'd rather die. I will love you always. You are my sweet miracle. I think these thoughts as I look at you as we walk away. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing with us. Oh, glad, for, glad I could be here with you guys. Well, Elliot, thank you for joining me here on Somewhere in the Middle with Michelle Berard. Guys, that is our show for this week. You can reach out to me online at urbanbookeditor.com, book and Instagram as 
Urban Book Editor. Send me a note. You know, I love to hear from you guys. Feel free to send in some topics you'd like us to cover on the show or some folks you'd like us to invite on the show. And again, a big shout out to Beverly Black, Tribe Family Channel, and all the members of Tribe Family Channel. It is a pleasure and an honor to be associated with her and that great family of programs. Make sure you guys tune into the show on May 4th when my guest will be Dr. Glenville Ashby. You can find Somewhere in the Middle every other Friday at 5 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Mountain, 7 p.m. Central, 8 p.m. Eastern at bit.ly, B-I-T dot L-Y slash Somewhere in the Middle Radio. You can also find us at bit.ly, B-I-T dot L-Y slash Somewhere in the Middle Podcast. Let's continue the conversation. You guys be good, stay mindful, and remain prayerful. Peace and blessings, y'all. You're 3,000 feet above the trees in a hot air balloon. Your significant other gets down on one knee and pulls out a box containing a ring. You realize that this is the magic moment you've been looking forward to because there's never been a better time to test drive the 2018 CLA Coupe at your authorized Mercedes-Benz dealer. With its sleek silhouette, unrivaled performance and technology, the CLA is your dream ride. Visit MBUSA.com CLA to learn more. Mercedes-Benz, the best or nothing. Hi. I'm a helpful Southern California Honda person, and recently we've been doing random acts of helpfulness, like repairing a family's home after a water leak, helping pay for a wedding, and surprising a deserving child with a birthday party at the L.A. Zoo. And during the Honda Dream Garage Spring Event, we can help you, too, with a great deal on an award-winning Honda, like the all-new and completely redesigned Accord, the 2018 North American Car of the Year. Click the dealer locator link to find a dealer near you, and go to SoCalHondaDealers.com to suggest a random act of helpfulness for someone you know.